0: Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, today we discuss temptation. We look at this fault line, this understanding of sometimes temptation brings forth uh, compromise. Compromise in our life, maybe compromise in our relationships, compromise at work. And as we, we think about temptation, uh, sometimes there are, there are misunderstandings. There are things that we maybe believe about temptation or we think about temptation. We think, you know what, um, there's, there's this maybe mystery as far as what temptation really is. I'll say this, temptation is all around us, it confronts us at work, it confronts us at home and elsewhere, it confronts us in the classroom, maybe to, to cheat or maybe to lie or in, in your business practices, to commit uh, sins, uh, boast, uh, defraud, maybe, maybe, maybe just tell a half-truth or to leave out the truth um, by just expressing a little bit of what you'd like to say. In any event, temptation is uh, something that Satan uses, the evil one uses, the devil uses to try to bring us to a place of experiencing or engaging in actual sin. And what I want to do today, um, and and I'm going to be more brief, and I promise that, I'm going to be more brief uh, today uh, than in previous weeks as we look at this, but I want to look at a few observations specifically about temptation and I want to center specifically on the greatest temptation that we see recorded in Scripture, and that is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, as, as recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. I want to look at where temptation comes from. I want to express why we're so vulnerable. Why are we vulnerable to temptation? And why are we vulnerable to the temptations that come to us versus that other people might experience? And finally, how, most importantly, how do we overcome temptation? How do we overcome it? How do we get past it? How do we go from a place of being tempted to, to continuing to live or starting to live into a place of holiness? And then following this, this observation, as we look at some specific questions, I want us to recognize that Jesus experienced temptation, and therefore, since Jesus was perfect, temptation is not a sin. Temptation in and of itself can be a gateway to sin or it is a gateway to sin. It's an open door that we can experience or step into sin. But in and of itself, temptation is not a sin. The first observation is this, observation about temptation is we recognize who the tempter is. Who is the tempter? The tempter is the devil. The devil is the one who brings temptation. It's important that we notice that it's not sin because when the devil brings temptation, if we were simply tempted and the devil brought that, along, brought that on us, then right off the bat, we would all be sinners. If temptation, what comes to us and we experience temptation, were something that came and all people experienced, and we would all be sinners at that point, including Jesus. However, it is not that way. But we should recognize specifically where temptation comes from. That is the devil. In the beginning, which is typically where we would start with any kind of uh, attempt to find any kind of observation or conclusion, in the beginning we recognize that Eve was tempted in the garden, right? She was tempted in the garden by the evil one, by uh, the, the, the serpent, and with that she caved in. He planted what's called doubt in her mind, and from that, that doubt that she experienced, she stepped forward in sin after experiences the, experiencing this temptation. The important thing to note, or maybe the, 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 the application to note is that the, 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 the truth, the wisdom, the discernment, the words of God were twisted by the evil one. Sadly, what takes place many times in our life is that when we hear something or we may attempt to step into a place of, of experiencing a temptation and therefore we experience uh, the desire or the need to compromise, it comes on the heels of some sort of warped truth. Warp truth recognizing that God says things, he, he expresses things through scripture, he expresses things and truths through, uh, through his spirit speaking to us. But in many cases, Satan takes that and he twists it, he warps it as if to, to trick us into believing something that might also or might almost be true. Sadly, eventually, Adam joined Eve in this sin together. And in Genesis 3, 1 through 6, it reads like this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? In verse 2, it says, The woman said to the serpent, we may, eat from the, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Let me just pause for a minute. We've, we've all been around children before where we say, okay, don't do this one thing. And, and naturally, there is a curiosity towards it. Naturally, in many cases, when you say, don't touch the stove, it's hot, there is a curiosity towards the, the unknowing. A small child might say, well, I wonder how hot it is. You know, maybe you've gone to a restaurant where they come out and they bring you a hot plate and they say, hey, this plate is hot. What's the first thing you do? What's your definition of hot, right? I want to see how hot that really is. You know, that curiosity is there and that curiosity is natural, but it goes a step forward, a step Further in this. In verse 4, it says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the recognition there is that, that here we see Satan, the evil one, taking the truth of God and warping it, twisting it to attempt to try to tempt this woman. And bring forth the opportunity for her to step forward in sin. Then finally, in verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, which is another indicator in many cases, he, attempts to, he dangles things that are beautiful, right? Pleasing to the eye and also desirable for, for gaining wisdom, what she could gain from it. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it as well. Again, we see God's words are twisted. God's message to these two that he loved, that he created, was twisted by the evil one and they were duped into into stepping into temptation, compromising what they had learned, and then sinning. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. In fact, in James uh, 1, it says, Contrary to what people think, God does not tempt anyone. You know, it's not one of those situations where God is tempting me. Instead, where God cannot tempt evil, but instead, the temptation comes from Satan alone. Picking up in the main passage, I'm going to read today primarily from Luke chapter 4 as we continue. In verse 1 and 2, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. If I miss a meal, I get hungry. If I miss two meals, I get hangry. If I miss 40 days of meals... You know, I've fasted before, but I don't think I've fasted more than than a week, or two weeks, I should say. And 40 days to me seems like an eternity. But I recognize, just like you do, that what takes place is when our physical needs are not met, we begin to break down. We don't think as as rationally. We don't take in the truth as well. And we begin to get duped or or torn down. And Satan knows this, and he's crafty in what he does. In fact, the second point underneath that, that first observation is exemption. Having the Holy Spirit does not exempt us from temptation. When I get hungry... Or when I get hangry, I don't lose the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit still lives within me and I'm not exempt from temptation. In fact, what takes place is Satan sometimes lays it on more thickly or more lays it on, lays it on thicker. There you go, that'll, that'll work. Jesus was filled with the Spirit, but he was tempted by the devil. And although the Spirit used Paul in a mighty way, Paul confesses that he does what he doesn't want to do in Romans chapter 7. You know, the Spirit will convict us, but we can't, uh, we can ignore that, that conviction. That's another thing to note. Here we see that, that in many cases, when we're, as a believer, when we are tempted, that the Spirit will speak. In fact, the closer you are to God when the temptation comes, the louder the Spirit speaks to you. But because of the reality that God loves us, He gave us this gift of free will, we have the choice to be able to squelch the Spirit and say, no, I'm going to eat this fruit, I'm willfully going to step out and, and do this thing. That's the free will that God has given us. Here's the reality check. We, never, we will never live free of temptation. We'll never live free of temptation in this world. There is a world beyond this. When we pass from this life or when Jesus returns, we live in a place of paradise for those who know Jesus. And therefore, we're past this, this place of temptation. But as we live here, we're never going to step past a time when we don't know temptation. The third point underneath that first observation is the world. The devil uses the evil world system. The devil uses the evil world system to appeal to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the the pride of life. And what does this mean? 1 John 2, 15 and 16 reads like this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, the pride of life, comes from, not from the Father, but from the world. The evil world system is the nature to which the devil rules the world. It's how he deceives us. And just like you can all sit here today, including myself, we can all be in this place and we can read the same passage and the same Holy Spirit can speak to each one of us with a total different message, no matter where we're at, recognizing what we need to hear, whether it be conviction or encouragement or hope and the way that God, he he somehow is able to communicate with each one of us. Satan knows to some extent on a lesser value that he can attack us with this world in a different way. He knows that some of us, that we struggle more with the lust of flesh or the, or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. And so therefore, he attacks us in those manners. While he is crafty in a lot of ways, he's kind of lazy, meaning that he uses the same tactics over and over again, but packages them differently. Just like the fisherman who likes to, to, to go bass fishing and uses a different uh, lure for different places, okay, I'm just going to switch to a different one because this one, is, they've gotten tired of it, or they've grown immune to it, or gotten bored of it, I'll dangle something else beautiful in front of their eyes, and eventually that bass is going to bite on it. Well, Satan knows the same thing, except the bass doesn't have the Holy Spirit like we do and the recognition that we can step forward through his power. But there is hope, specifically that comes through the Spirit, and that is the, the fourth point, escape. God provides a way to escape. God provides this way in in many different forms and in many different ways. We can never say the devil made me do it. That, That specific instruction is ridiculous because that negates free will on the other side. That basically says that the devil has free reign over our lives. In fact, if you remember last week, and we'll just talk about this as maybe a case study, last week we talked about Joseph. Not, not the father of Jesus, but Joseph, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the Old Testament Joseph, the one with the brothers that had the really cool coat, and then he had that other coat, remember? And he leaves it behind with Potiphar's wife. She was trying to tempt him to come and, and uh, to lay with her. And, and basically, what he said was, no, this is not right, and he ran away from the sin, he ran away from the temptation. Now, there's two ways to look at this. The first one is in leaving his coat, it implicated an opportunity for him to be called wrongfully, to be called guilty. And that is what took place. And we see through his life that there were issues that came of that. And then specifically as as things came full circle, God worked through that. And sometimes those things happen in our life. Sometimes we experience that. Sometimes that's an exciting thing. And sometimes we never experience that here in life. We never experience that, that redemption story or everything doesn't get tied up properly until we get to heaven. But on the other end of it, maybe just as important when we see this, is sometimes we experience temptation. And the temptation has more power than it should because of the place to which we position our heart, our mind, our eyes, our mouth, our ears, our spirit. And what I mean by that is sometimes we recognize a temptation and instead of doing like Joseph and running away, we kind of lean in and we're a listening ear for that gossip that somebody's trying to share. We say, oh, yeah, you're right. And then that gossip begins to permeate within us and it becomes truth and it makes us harden towards another person or towards the church or towards God. Or on the other end, we find ourselves in a place where, hey, you know what? This, this, uh, this struggle that I have, this lust of the eyes... It's, uh, it's not too bad. And then, you know, we watch a, a, a TV show or a movie that's got a little bit of, uh, of, of, of raunchiness in it, something that we shouldn't watch. I'm like, oh, that's not too bad. And then, and then we, we go and we're, we're maybe looking at a website or we're doing something else. We find ourselves in a place where we're walking down what's called a slippery slope. And you know what happens when you walk down a slippery slope is eventually you're going to fall. But in essence, Joseph gives a perfect template of what to take place. When soon as you experience temptation, don't hang around, don't stay there, don't wait for Satan to kind of pour it on. Instead, run away. Get away from it. Get, get, get away from that conversation, away from that website, turn off the TV, whatever it might be, whether it be uh, people at work that are asking you or in a class that are asking you to, to compromise your values or the truth, get away from it. Don't stand idly by physically or even emotionally or mentally. Don't give it the, the, the time, the thought, but get away from it. The second observation goes like this, observation about the devil's temptation of Jesus. Kind of after we kind of lay it out there, I I want to position ourselves specifically for this portion in the actual temptation itself. How we exit one room most definitely impacts how we enter another. And by that, what I mean is I often will pray even during our pastoral prayer time after the music for the needs of the congregation, for where we're at, for the baggage we brought in. And part of that is recognizing the fact that we all come in here in a different way. Maybe you had a fight or a conversation that was difficult with somebody in the car on the way over. Maybe your, your children, they, just, they were driving you nuts. Maybe you got in here and you, didn't, you, you skipped breakfast. Or maybe this week you are having a lot of issues. And I recognize that, that we all come in here in, in one way. And the, and the desire for that prayer is for us to position ourselves in a place, in a way where God can speak to us. Where we can put aside the distraction and we can hear His voice. Well, let me just say, when we enter this room physically and mentally, spiritually, emotionally, it's the same thing when we exit this room, when you, go, when you leave your bedroom at home and start your day, when you leave your, you go out the front door, when you leave your car to go into work or whatever it might be, how you exit one room is, is, is going to impact how you enter the next. Now, recognize this. Now, Jesus obviously is God, but he was also 100% man. And how he was entering this wilderness, this situation, was that he was tired, he was hungry, he was worn out. And it only continued from there. And recognizing the fact that he drew upon the Holy Spirit does give us a, a, very, a an awesome clue to how we're to live. But at the same time, it helps us to recognize that when we, our practice, our conversation, when we engage in different things is going to impact how we go about our day. If you start your day in prayer, if you start your day in in, in conversation with God and maybe in, in conversation with another person where you can lift one another, when you do that, it's going to impact what takes place as you step into the next stage or physical place in your day, in your week. That's one of the awesome things about this being the first day of the month really on our calendar, right? Or the first day of the week on our calendar is that this is how we start our week. Hopefully this impacts how you step into the next activity, the next conversation, the next work or class or whatever it might be for the rest of the week. Luke chapter 2 reads just like this, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. Jesus was hungry and the first point there is exhaustion. Get this, the devil, he tempted Jesus when he was physically exhausted and hungry. Jesus had eaten nothing for 40 days when the devil attempted him. For that 40 days. Throughout the 40 days. Often the devil assaults us when we're weak. He assaults us when we're at our weakest point. I remember junior church i don 't know if, if, if you grew up going to church, if you did you probably went to children 's church or junior church or whatever that might have been called in your church. I remember going to junior church and there was always an activity to conclude like the uh, the, the service so you 'd have games or, or uh, you know, games in the room you 'd have craft and a Bible study and you 'd sing some songs and the last thing was always an activity and if it was nice out, you get to go outside and one of my favorite activities for the, uh, the conclusion of service was the one where you got to pull your arms or have somebody else pull their arms out of the socket. I don't know if you've ever played this. It's called Red Rover. Anybody ever heard of the game? And when you play Red Rover, basically what you do is everybody lines up and they hold hands and you would call out somebody's name, Red Rover, Red Rover, let, you know, Steve, okay, come over. And then that person would get a a head of steam and they would run as fast as they could and they would try to break through two arms. And if they couldn't break through, they had to join the line. If they could, then they got to take someone back with them. It was kind of a go back and forth. Nobody gets eliminated, which is kind of a fun way of doing the game. But the thing that I noticed after a while was that I was getting a lot of hits on either side. I wasn't a big guy, just like I'm not a big guy now. And and looking back, I think the reason for that is because what would happen is when we call out a name, that person would look for the weak link. Where can I break through pretty easily, right? Let me just tell you, that's what Satan does. Satan, the evil one that's prowling, is looking for the weak link in your life. He's not going to attack you in those strong places where he knows there's a stronghold, where you're, 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 you're doing it, you're listening to God, you're following him. He's going to look for that little weak link somewhere that maybe you've forgotten about or that you've kind of put off to the side or you've held behind. Like, hey, you know what? This is something I want to hold on to. I don't want anybody else to know about it, God. You, you just, you're good with it, and if I'm good with it, okay. Well, Satan knows about that too, and he sees that weak link. He says, Red Rover, Red Rover. A Vatican report that topped the three sins of men uh, of, of all time. The main sins were lust, substance abuse, or gluttony, and the shrinking responsibility, or, or sloth. For women, the top three sins are uh, critical spirit or pride, jealousy or envy, and bitterness, anger. Let me just tell you, these three, for men and for women, are specifically, in many cases, the three weakest points of our nature. For men, once again, lust, gluttony, and sloth. For women, pride, envy, and anger. They may manifest themselves in different ways. They may be things that maybe that's may not 100% true for you, but let me just say there are weak points in our lives. There are weak points that we have because of the sin nature to which we are born into. It doesn't mean that we continue to sin in those, but it means that there are weak points that Satan will attack. And it, you would do well, we would each do well to recognize and to identify what those weak points are so that we might be able to give them to God. Or we might be able to ask for accountability of a loved one or a friend. Or we might be able to allow God to, to, to bring forth strength in those moments, in those places. The devil often breaks us down or, or waits for us to break ourselves down to these weak points, and then he attacks. And the sad thing is, the sad thing is in many cases when, when Satan attacks, especially somebody who's part of the, the local church, that's, that, that's either part of this church or another church or whatever form of Christian community that you're in, the sad thing that happens is in many cases, when that attack takes place, a natural desire to withdraw also takes place. And what, I, what I mean by that is if, if you are attacked in some specific way, Satan will cloud your thought, cloud your thinking in a way to say, okay, you either can't be with the church or the church didn't help or, or my friends, my small group didn't reach out and so I'm going to withdraw. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants to attack you, he wants to attack me in our isolation. He wants to bring forth an opportunity where you can get you cornered by yourself and he can tear you down. Church, let me just say, God created us to be communal beings, the body of Christ. And what that means is we celebrate together, we worship together, but we also walk through trials together. And so when Satan attempts to attack you, no matter where it might be, whether you succumb to temptation or whether you fight off temptation, when those things take place, do not withdraw. In fact, lean in to your brothers and sisters in Christ because that's where the strength lies. The Spirit works through the gathering of one or, or the gathering of two or three or many. Don't step away. Don't give up. Don't withdraw. Picking up in, in verse 3. It says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to the high, pl- high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time." And we see here just specifically that Satan uses these, these different ways of trying to appeal to human nature, right? He's trying to give him something. He's trying to, 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 to come after fear. He's trying to find a way to, to get Jesus to succumb to this. And the point here is that physical desires, number two, physical desires, the, the devil tried to, to get Jesus to give in to physical desires instead of trusting God to provide. Now, Naturally, we see things or things around us that might bring comfort because they are physical. They are right in front of us. They are there. But what the Spirit is attempting to to communicate through this in some fashion is that just because you can see it doesn't mean it's going to bring you strength. In fact, in most cases, it won't. If it's of this world, it's not going to bring you strength. It may bring you a lasting pacifier, but it's not going to bring you eternal strength. He suggests that Jesus turns a stone into bread. He tempts Jesus to receive the kingdom in exchange for worshiping him. This exchange would have involved, uh, get this, necessitating that Jesus bypasses the cross and therefore our redemption. So should Jesus have, have, have given in to temptation and allowed this sin to, to be, to, allowed himself to commit this sin, what would have taken place is we would not have been able to experience the redemption that we have today. Further, he tempted Jesus to show off his divine power by leaping from the highest point to the, of the temple and allowing the angels to catch him. He started, which is an interesting thing called, he started talking religious, right? You know, Satan, he knew also the scripture. He, he knows the scripture and that's why he, he knows it so well because he wants to use it to, to warp it so that we might believe something that's false. But he disguised himself almost as godly, as, as, as a righteous person or a righteous entity. And so it's interesting here as he starts to talk religious, hey, I recognize your power, but how about this? How about this other option? How about this other way? Have you ever thought about it like this? Maybe, maybe this Bible, maybe we need to read between the lines. We need to expand on it. Or, you know, it's something that we can kind of take it and we can use it. It's, it was written so long ago. So maybe if we read the Bible the way that the current context might allow, it'll mean something different. No, 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 no. That's not the case. The Scripture is not something that we use to wield in our culture to be able to prove our points or to bring forth something that we believe. Instead, the Scripture brings forth the truth. We understand it through God's Holy Spirit who speaks through the Scripture and we therefore experience and know the truth. Satan wants nothing more than to take Scripture and to use it, to wield it, to bring forth a a lack of truth and understanding to twist it so that we might believe falsehood. Third observation is this. Observations about Jesus' victory over the devil and temptation. First, right out of the gate, truth. How did he get over it? He got over it through truth. Jesus overcame temptation by using God's word. There is no more powerful tool at our fingertips, no more powerful truth in our lives than understanding and knowing God's word. His truth is real. This, this, this book that we have so nicely bound and put together for us was, was accumulated over the course of, of thousands of years and, and put together, canonized in this place for us to be able to read in our language so that we might know the truth of God. So that we might know what his desire, what his love is, what what his what what his conviction is, so that we might know him. We read in, in, in 4, 8, and 12, it reads like this Jesus' responses, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus, re- Jesus answered, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, in this passage from, from chapter 4, 1 through 13, there's only three times when Jesus says anything. In all three of the times that he is quoted that he is that he says something all three of those are a quote from scripture that's all he needed he didn't need anything else he didn't need some eloquent words he didn't need some some prayer and some voice that was a special prayer he didn't need anything else what he needed was to quote the word of god jesus warded off every temptation by 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 obeying scripture and by reading the scripture And we too can overcome temptation and turn our back on the devil's assaults by using God's word, his holy word, inspired by God and written down by those that were obedient. You know, the psalmist assures us in in Psalm 119 that hiding God's word in our hearts protects us against sin. And this specific verse is one that is both encouraging and convicting to me personally. And the reason I'll share it this way. It's encouraging because no one can take away the scripture that we memorize, that we know, that we have. No one can take that away from us, right? They might take the word, the, the physical word away from you, but if you have it in your heart, if you have it memorized, no one can take that from you. But the convicting part is this. As a believer, as a Christian, as a pastor, I know that there is a, there is a possibility that at some point I may be put into prison right? You and I both as as believers, we could be put into prison and therefore the scripture taken away from us. And the only thing that we have as a means of being able to continue to engage in God's word is what we have memorized. And so I'm going to ask this rhetorical question, one that's both convicting to me and maybe possibly convicting to you is, how much scripture do you have hidden in your heart? I'm, and I will say this as an excuse that I use sometimes, I'm bad at memorizing things. I'm not great at that, but I will tell you at the same time that this is a life or death quiz, test, final exam. What we have hidden in our heart is what we we take with us that can never be taken from us. That's the power. May it be hidden in your heart. Verse 14 reads like this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought, where been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as, his, as was his custom. He stood up to read from the scroll the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and and recovery sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Recognize what took place after Jesus walked through this difficult temptation in his life. After this fasting and this time of temptation, he went right into expressing, engaging in, and also expressing the mission of which God had given him. He was stronger. In fact, in many cases we've talked about in these fault lines over the past couple of weeks is the fact that the fault line, in a lot of ways, is a a means to which we can grow. And the second point under that one, the final point for you, is this. Growth, Jesus Jesus was refreshed spiritually following the temptation. He was refreshed spiritually because of the way that he had to go to God for strength. He went to the scripture inspired by the spirit for strength. He was was refreshed because of the fact that he walked through the trial and God brought forth power in and through him as he proclaimed his name. God must allow us to be tempted. Sometimes you might ask, God, why are you allowing this to happen? He allows us to be tempted because he knows it's for our own spiritual growth and spiritual goodness. He draws us near When we submit to him and we resist the devil. He draws us near. We can draw near to God in times of temptation. I always state spiritually that that an offense is is a good defense, so to speak, right? Right? As believers, we should be offensive minded, not defensive minded, meaning we should be striving to be more like God, striving to know him better, striving to be in his presence. And as a result, the defense will come because we are not worried about trying to fan off or trying to, to, to get away from the devil. Instead, we're, we're attempting to be in God's presence. And the more we are, the stronger we become. And therefore, when the difficult times come, the fault lines come, we can be empowered because of the presence of God that's already in our life. Meeting temptation and overcoming it prepares us for effective life, for effective ministry, for effective witness. You now, God still has a mission for us. You know, kind of outlining the the fault lines in our life brings a, a greater preparation for the end of the journey. I call this kind of a suit up moment suit up, getting it all on, putting on everything that matters, all the, 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 the elements that are necessary to keep us strong, to keep us moving forward, to keep us in line with God and in his presence for battle. Putting on the full armor of God, in fact. The full armor of God is, is spelled out in the book of Ephesians uh, as Paul writes his letter to the church in Ephesus in chapter 6. And I'm going to put it on the screen, actually. The challenge is this, to put on... The full armor of God. I'm not sure. Maybe I don't have the passage, but I'm going to read it here. Chapter 6, verse 10 reads like this. Finally, we, we finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit of all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is just a simple verse, but it's very powerful. In fact, the challenge today is this. Make every day fresh and anew this week. When you start your week, when you, or excuse me, when you start your day, I want to encourage you to put on the full armor of God. As you exit, if you're joining us in the room, as you exit, we've got cards just like this one. The greeters that are there to dismiss will be back. They're going to hand them out to you. And I want to encourage you to take this and put it somewhere where you can see it in the morning. Perhaps it's in your, your Bible with your morning devotions. Perhaps it's in the car. Don't read it while you're driving. But if it's in the car, then uh, pull over and read it or, or read it when you get out you know, to work or to school before you get out of the, out of the car. Maybe it's, uh, it's, it's by your, uh, your breakfast table or your mirror when you're getting ready in the morning in the bathroom. Wherever it might be, I want to encourage you to take this. and uh, I want to encourage you to read it. I want you to take a moment and I want you to pray that God, would you, and walk through each one of these, God, would you make sure that I have the truth, that I understand the truth, that the breastplate of righteousness is in place, that I'm carrying the sword of, of the Spirit, that I have the shield of faith. And so when you take this, when you have this, may it be a reminder so that each day, as God's mercies are new each day, each day you can step, you can, you can get up and you can step into that day with a recognition that you don't do so alone. In fact, the Spirit comes alongside you, whether you're tired or whether you're weary, whether you're excited, whether you're joyful. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the reality that even in times of temptation, that you have not forsaken us. That you are present, that you are real, that you are there in our lives, God, that you are holding true, that God, that in all respects, Father, you have prepared a way for each one of us. And whether it be simply to run away or to to lean into you or to eliminate something in our life that's bringing forth an opportunity for us to be tempted, whatever it might be, God, may we come to you for our strength. God, we know that you are faithful. We know that you are all powerful. Greater is he who is in me than is in the world. And Father, you have not given up on any of us yet. Instead, you continue to walk alongside us. May, Father, we put on the full armor of God each day. May we hear your voice. May we, may we be encouraged by you in what you do in and through us. And on the other end, may we be empowered for greater days of, of ministry, greater days of evangelism, greater days of love and discipleship towards those within our sphere of influence. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for the way that you are a personal God, still engaged in our lives. May you go with us as we go from this place. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hear these words as you go. Compromise may be a wise option in business, in politics, or intentional relationships, but it's totally unacceptable when dealing with the devil. Temptation is always a no compromise zone. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.